Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is going on, you guys? I got a question for all y'all. When are advantages actually disadvantages? And when are disadvantages actually huge advantages? I'm going to attempt to answer that question through the most fabulous book I've read recently by David McCullough's called The Wright Brothers. And this is going to be a meditation on this precise question through the lens of two competing teams that were attempting to power man flight. The first was, of course, the Wright brothers, these two bicycle mechanics from Ohio. The second team was led by Samuel Langley, the professor at the Smithsonian Institution. And there was a lot of teams throughout the United States. Some of them were cranked, some weren't. But if you were to be a betting person in 1900 and you were to try to predict who would successfully implement man flight, no one would have picked the Wright brothers over Samuel Langley because Samuel Langley had all of the advantages that the Wright brothers lacked. He had more money. He had more prestige. He had more technical expertise and he had a bigger, more well-financed team. The Wright brothers had none of the prestige, none of the money, none of the credentials. And yet They were the ones succeeded, whereas Langley failed. And so I think this is very helpful to sort of explore this because I think this oftentimes is something I think we overlook is, are there any disadvantages that we have right now in our own life that are actually advantages? And are there any advantages that other people may have that in fact are disadvantages? And then at the end of this podcast, I'm gonna do a twist. And we're going to explore a twist to this precise question. So at least I think this is very interesting. And I hope you do too. And I hope if you have any loved ones um, or friends or family members that are struggling with not getting where they want to go because of their perceived own disadvantages, hopefully you can share this with them. And hopefully they'll find some insight into this because I think this is a very interesting topic, which is what do you, use, what do, you do with the gifts that you've actually been doing And are the things in your own life that in fact are actually huge advantages that you can capitalize on that you may perceive as disadvantages and those may make you stop. So let's get started on this exploration as to the disadvantages of advantages through the lens of Samuel Langley and the Wright brothers. So first off, who was Samuel Langley? We all know who the Wright brothers are, but who was Samuel Langley? Well, you may have seen him like on YouTube. He was the guy that had the disastrous first attempted flight, this contraption that he tried to shoot off of a houseboat outside of Washington, D.C. DC. It was a total failure. He was laughed and mocked. And um, 
you know, now it looks like he was a total idiot and didn't know what he was doing. But at the time, Samuel Langley was one of the leading scientists in the United States. I wouldn't really use the, the word Elon Musk for him because he wasn't necessarily an entrepreneur, but he was extremely well-credentialed. He had a corner office at the Smithsonian. He invented the bolometer. I have no idea what the hell a bolometer was. This evidently was a device to measure radiant heat. He was the president of the American Antiquarian Society. And he had won, among other things, the pre-Johnson Prize, which was given to the best French astronomer um, in France at the time. So it's kind of like the Nobel for astronomers. He had all the credentials. He was extremely well-known. And yet he failed. And so let's answer why he failed and look at, first of all, what his advantages were and how, in my view, those advantages may have actually contributed to the failure of the project, um, whereas the Wright brothers' disadvantages, in fact, were huge advantages that contributed to their success. So what were their advantages that the Samuel Langley team had that the Wright brothers did not? Well, first of all, they had cash. You know, a lot of times I think when we think about our own life, if I only had more cash, I would be super successful. Well, in this particular instance, the Langleys had a $50,000 grant from the War Department and a $20,000 grant from the Smithsonian Institution. So in total, it was $70,000. And in today's dollars, that would be about $2.5 million that they had access to. We'll get to how much the Wright brothers had, but then we'll talk about why this was actually a disadvantage to have all this funding. The second huge advantage that they had was this prestige. And because of prestige, you know, Langley had had all the success. He was 65 years old at the time of this project, a huge reputation. He was able to get the top people. So like the top airplane guy, or there was no airplane guy at the time, the top machine guy, he was able to get. The top um, you know, engineers, he got. The best mechanics, he got. So whoever was known, Langley had these people. And he had access to some of the top intellectual peers throughout the United States. So the best professors, the best engineers, the best engine mechanics. That was the second huge advantage. And the third thing that he had was, is he had the ideal circumstance, you know, in terms of he, he was comfortable. He did not have to worry about where his next paycheck was going to go. He did not have to worry about funding. All of these things were things that he had had. So let's sort of talk about um, his first trip, okay? And this is usually, uh, uh, you know, seen on YouTube and things like this, but it was a disaster. Let's talk about that first advantage that he had, which was funding. $70,000, why would that be a huge disadvantage? Well, you think about it. One of the things that you get with an external funding source is you get strings attached to the funding source. And this was critical actually to why he was a failure and where the Wright brothers with the freedom were able to capitalize on what, what they were able to accomplish. So the War Department just doesn't give you 70,000 bucks. They likely would have had a spec, you know, so essentially a set of conditions that they were to do. 
And of course, too, getting funding for the fifty thousand bucks. What you know? You think there were just no strings? No. I mean, they had to. He had a, a fiduciary duty to the War Department and to the Smithsonian to make sure that they weren't embarrassed, and to make sure that they were using these funds properly. Well, why was this so critical? You know, oftentimes we talk about peer review, and I am not against peer review. And peer review can be a very good part of the scientific method. But here's something to really think about when you think about peer review, is you always need to ask yourself, what if the peers are all wrong? Well, one of the key breakthroughs that the Wright brothers had um, is that as they were studying the aeronautical cables, there, there had been some obviously attempts at manned flight in terms of the physics of flight and the wing velocities and the types of structures that they thought would work, there were these advanced tables that they relied upon. The Wright brothers studied these tables and implemented them into their models as they tried to develop these. First, they were going to do a, a, a manned glider, and then eventually they were going to do powered flight. Well, one of the things they discovered was is all these tables were wrong. They were totally wrong. And yet they were done by some of the most credentialed people in the United States. So the breakthrough that the Wright brothers had was is they realized these other assholes didn't know what the hell they were talking about. They had the freedom to do that. Now, imagine if Langley had come to the same conclusion. Well, he would have had to push back against some of the most credentialed people in the United States. And if the project failed, what critique would it get? You ignored the experts. The experts can be wrong. And not only that, maybe he could have been sued by the War Department because, hey, you didn't follow the peer review. And you know, in the health space, you know how I love keto? The keto people were considered crackpots for 45 years before all the peer review finally caught up to them. And so this advantage, which was the funding, turned out to be a huge disadvantage. Now, I'll qualify that. Funding can be very important. Obviously, you need funding. You need a baseline level of funding. But it has to be under the right circumstances. It has to be under the right conditions. So if you have, for example, a, a a uh, uh, child getting money from their parents, how often are there strings attached with that, right? There's always sort of a, a, a non um, sort of truly symbiotic relationship and those, those are kind of codependent relationships. And so a lot of times if those funds are given, there's strings attached. And so in this particular case, they had, Sam Langley couldn't just come to the same conclusion. Now, it's unclear to me whether he actually able, was, was able to determine whether those tables were false. There's a lot of reason why it failed, but um, that is something that I think was a key disadvantage and turned out was the funding. Whereas the Wright brothers, they had funding total on their first manpower for about $1,000, which in today's funny, I haven't done the math on that, but it probably would have been like 30, 30 grand. So it was, it was a large chunk of change, but it was not... The, the equivalent to, well, 70,000 in those days, but 2.5 million. So they had the freedom to be able to say, hey, I can reject those tables because they were the only ones that had, they didn't have to answer to anyone, right? So that was a huge advantage to them. The only money that, only really risk they had was their reputation. And they didn't care about that because they didn't have any reputation to lose at the time. They had the absolute freedom to experiment. So that is really key as you think about what you want to do in life. 
think about the, the freedom to do and to chart your own course. And to do that, you need to be reliant on yourself and others and kindred spirits to be able to have the freedom to experiment because a lot of times you don't know the answer um, in the first instance. So what was the second advantage that um, Langley had that the Wright brothers did not? He was the most prestigious person in the United one of the most prestigious person. He literally had a corner office at the Smithsonian Institution. And with that prestige came funding. So what's the disadvantage of prestige? And I see this all the time, especially when it's kids of entrepreneurs. Have you ever noticed why kids tend, not tend to, but sometimes kids of very successful people sometimes are not very successful at all. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one key aspect of that is they have a reputation to protect. And that makes them extremely risk averse. Now, risk is something, and, and fear is an absolute human emotion. And human emotions are all evolutionarily necessary. So, you know, there's that, that line from the Crudes where Nicholas Cage, the head caveman, is like, never stop being afraid. Well, it's true. You do need to be afraid of what you put in your mouth. When you're doing a self and you're a cliff, you need to have a healthy amount of fear. Work in that fear, it's just like most things, the good thing can be the bad thing. Fear is absolutely healthy. When can it be bad? Well, it can be bad when you have a fear of certain things where if, if it doesn't work out, the only thing you have is the fact that you failed, right? Especially where you don't have a huge amount of other people's money involved. Take a lot of small bets, a fear of trying out for a play, a fear of trying something new that you weren't really accomplishing, a fear of trying a podcast. So think about this podcast. The only thing that I have to fear is that you guys aren't going to listen to it. Well, I crossed that threshold a long time ago. I probably have you know, about 20 to 30 regular listeners and my, my all-time greatest amount of downloads was on Tankat Ali. I got a shit ton of downloads on Tankat Ali at the testosterone supplement. And I'm not going to do a podcast only on Tankat Ali. I think people are probably more interested in the, the topic rather than my particular take on the topic. Uh, evidently, there's not a lot of Tankat Ali content. content. But so the only thing I have to fear is, hey, maybe it won't turn out. And maybe it won't be successful. Well, that's an unhealthy fear. And so what was the issue as it applies to Langley is that he was really afraid of failure. And there's a reason why he had a, he had a reputation to protect, number one. And number two, going back to the first topic, he also had sponsors that he had to answer to. And this is absolutely critical. And, and you think about, for example, um, what the downside of that reputation is, is to become extremely risk averse. And this turns out to be one of the key aspects of um, why he failed because he only did it where it was very, very comfortable. And here I'm gonna bang on professors a little bit is that I think a lot of times professors, actually lawyers too, as a group too, one of the reasons I went to law school is because we wanted a stable career. We were afraid to do something else. And so a lot of times professors, they get overly risk averse. And that's something that can be very, very problematic and difficult. And so 
Wilbur, as he starts getting some success, after a while, people really realized he was not a crack. He was not a crack. He actually was legitimate. And he actually gave a presentation at the Aeronautical uh, Society. And he talked about the nature of knowledge and what's likely to be successful and what's likely not to be successful. And at this presentation, he gives a very clear demonstration of how to actually improve yourself and how to get things done and how to innovate it. And I think he's clearly, I think, juxtaposing it as against Samuel Langley, who they kind of knew of each other and they kind of knew the different approaches, but this is actually a direct quote from David McCullough's book. And I think it was really fabulous. So he gives this presentation at the, um, essentially the Scientific American Institute. And it was a speech entitled Some Aeronautical Observations. And here, McCullough said, um, he said it was an authentic Wilbur Wright, straightforward and clear. What was needed above all, all else for success with a flying machine, he said, he said, was the ability to ride with the wind to balance and steer in the air. To explain how a bird could soar through the air would take much of the evening, he said. Instead, he took a sheet of paper and held it parallel to the floor and let it drop. He would not settle down as a staid, sensible piece of paper ought to do, but it insists on contravening every recognized rule of decorum, turning over, darting, and hither and thither in the most erratic manner, much after the style of an untrained horse. And this was the type of horse that they had to be able to manage in order to learn how to fry, fly. And then he gave a direct quote. But let me just stop here and put the pause button on this. This, to me, more than any other reason, explains the gigantic failure, and I ain't gonna get political here, of liberalism. It's not that there aren't some good ideas, and it's not that the intention is right. The problem is, is that to quote Nicholas Nassim Taleb, is that, have you ever heard of Presti's bed, where um, this guy doesn't fit in the bed, and so rather than fit, you know, right to try to get a bigger bed, he tries to cut, he cuts off the person's limbs so they fit in the bed. And so much of liberalism is based upon how people think people should behave rather than how they actually do behave, which is we're selfish, we're lazy. Um, if someone else does something for us, we can become weak. And a lot, I think a lot of times the professors that come up with a lot of these ideas, whether they're in education, they're thinking about how people should behave under the right circumstances rather than how they actually behave. And I know local politicians who constantly lecture businesses on how they should pay more wages and how they should do this and how they should do that. Well, it's much easier to say how something should happen when you're not the one actually doing it. I mean, imagine, for example, um, rowing across the United States or sailing to Europe. It's very simple to state. You just need to point your, your boat in the direction of Europe. It's extremely complicated to actually do, to sort of sit on the fence and lecture someone else as to how they should do it. As a classic example, if it's so easy, then why don't they do it? Well, that's kind of really key. And that's one of the keys to the Wright's brother's success. And here's how we can really learn from them. And here he's, I think he's kind of probably, this is Wilbur, is probably giving a little bit of a slight dig to Professor, the Professor Langley. Um, and he said that basically, as he was talking about this untamed horse, and, re and recall that we had talked about the paper, the paper that we thought how it should behave and how it actually does behave. And he says, this is a quote directly from Wilbur Wright. He said, one way to learn how to manage this untrained horse, in this case, the piece of paper, is to get on him 
and to learn by actual practice how each motion and trick may best be met. The other is to sit still on a fence and watch the bees for a while, and then retire to the house and at leisure figure out the best way of overcoming his jumps and kicks. The latter system is the safest, but the former on the whole turns out to be the larger proportion of good riders. So practice truly does make perfect. And I think this is very important for young people, for old people, for anyone wanting to actually solve a problem is to actually get out there and do it. To quote Aristotle, we are what we repeatedly do. So if you wanna become a pilot, do any task related to being a pilot. Don't just think about it. If you wanna become a writer, don't just think about that screenplay that you wanna write, actually do it. If you want to become a podcaster, continue to do it with intention and get started rather than think about the great podcasts you want to do. You know, this particular podcast, I still don't have the optimal audio. My goal would be to do that in the future. But if I waited until it was perfect or the perfect content, I would never get it done. So my, in my view, it was more important to get started doing the podcast rather than just sort of sit on the fence and hope that I could get it done. Because there's a lot of good quality podcasts on there to keep it interesting. And if you're here so far, I've succeeded in keeping you interested through a relatively long podcast. So this is one of the key things you need to be able to do or to tell people to do it and to get started. To quote James Clear, if you want to get something done, every act is a vote for the person who you will ultimately become. There's no better way to achieve what you want to achieve than to just get started and start doing it and then building upon that each and every day. So much, so much of the failure of liberalism and so much of the failure of a lot of professors and the reason why it's this risk aversion and the risk aversion is a direct function of the advantage, which is reputation. A lot of professors one of the reasons why they become a professor is they're good students. And so then they, they keep doing well in school and they don't get bad marks. And then they go to graduate school and they read the great writers and they write a good paper. And then all of a sudden then, but have you noticed how frequently, infrequent it is that a professor becomes a great writer? When was the last Hermes Hemingway wasn't a professor? Gertrude Stein wasn't a professor. Why? Because it's so much easier to be the critique the critic of other people's work rather than doing the work yourself. And so one of the reasons why so many professors don't write, why don't they write? Why? Because it's a fear of the critic. They're more afraid that if they put the work out there, that it's going to be critiqued and their fellow peers aren't going to recognize the quality of their work. So that is directly related to this advantage they have in terms of rep reputation. And in fact, that's exactly what happened with Samuel Langley. He was equivalent to a professor. He was a very credentialed person. And he would only do his experiments in the still air of um, the Potomac. The Wright brothers, yeah, there was certain advantages to Kitty Hawk that were very windy. But if you think about it, that can kind of cut both ways with flying. Yeah, it helps to have a lot of wind, but it makes the air that much more unstable. But in Wilbur and Orville's view, that's what they had to learn how to try to do. They had to try to learn how to become better flyers. And in order to do that, they had to be in conditions and what they were actually expected to face rather than the ideal thing. Now, related to Samuel Langley, um, 
here's the great irony is that in the process of fearing failure, he actually accelerated his own giant failure because ultimately he did have to get out in the arena and he had to prove to the war department that uh, he was going to succeed. And so he ultimately had no choice because again, this gets down to the lack of control. He had to try to show something for his efforts. So it's interesting when he actually shot this thing off of the houseboat outside of Washington, D.C., he probably wasn't ready, but he probably felt that he didn't have control. So that gets to the third huge advantage that um, Langley had that turned out to be a huge disadvantage. With that funding that he got and with that reputation that he had to protect, what didn't he actually have? He didn't have control over his time. And lack of control over your time, this turns out to be one of the greatest sources of human misery, which is you don't control your own time. This gets into stoicism. Time is your most valuable asset. Well, what's the other thing that was a huge advantage that turns out to be directly related to this giant disadvantage, which, which is, Langley had a grant that he was administering. He had payroll that he had to meet. He had people that were depending upon him to get this project done. And he likely had a very distinct timeline as to when he was supposed to complete this flying machine. He couldn't just screw around. He had to actually get all of this thing done on a schedule. Well, what would that mean that he would have to show actual progress? And he would also have to show that he was making progress towards powered flight. And that is something that you would reasonably expect, which was, hey, are you going to get this thing done? I mean, I guarantee you the War Department would say, you know, like, here's 50 grand. Just get it done whenever you're ready. It had to be done in a certain way and under a certain time schedule. So he didn't have control over his time. The Wright brothers, in contrast, contrast, had total control over the time. Literally the only thing that affected their ability to work on the plane was their bike shop. They just had to attend to the bike shop enough so that they could generate the funds to fund the project. And as there was, there was a, I think a professor Chanute, who was a very well admirer um, that, that the brothers had come across. I think it was Octave Chanute was his name. And he had done some earlier work in aeronautics relating to the study of birds. And he kind of knew what, he knew that they were kind of onto something. And at some point he had floated to the Wright brothers that, you know, maybe I can get you 10,000 bucks from this, um, Andrew Carnegie, who I think you know, Andrew Carnegie does not get much bigger than Andrew Carnegie. I mean, this is one of the richest people in the United States. But why didn't they do it? 10,000 bucks is a good chunk of change. I and mean, this would be like someone coming to you and say, hey, here's $150,000 a year. Um, you can do this on this particular project. That's the nature of venture capital. What would be the downside of that is, is that Andrew Carnegie may have not known anything about, air, about flight. He may have had no clue. You know, I think, for example, there was a, um, 
huge music festival, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, that was a gigantic failure. And part of the reason why it was a failure was is that other people funded it, the banks, but the organizers had no control over what they were to do. And when everything blew up, rather than just a failure, they had to answer to the bank. And those guys actually got charged with fraud. So when you don't have control over your time, you can't set your own schedule. You can't set your own experiments. You know, there may be certain experiments that other people consider to be a gigantic waste of time, but you have control over your own time. And so the Wright brothers could take as much time as they needed because they didn't have to answer anyone. So the punchline to that is, is that they declined the funding from Andrew Carnegie because they wanted control over their own project. Now, like every, I'm not saying like we'd never, you know, never take venture capital, never accept an investment. I think there is a time where if you need to scale something, you may want to um, ultimately accept some outside funding. Well, kind of the second, and the call doesn't give to this in great detail, Really, the tragedy of the Wright brothers is that after they did Man Flight, they had other people who were probably going to be better at scaling up the business that they wouldn't accept because they wanted to keep control over their toy. And they spent a lot of their last years in litigation. And this litigation was extremely stressful. And it really was kind of a tragedy because I think had they been able to lose some of that control at the appropriate time, after having made that invention, they maybe could have even had a bigger project, a bigger impact in aviation, but instead they were very stuck in their ways. So there does come a point at which maybe some outside investment would be very helpful, but while you're trying to create something new, I would say control over your time is one of the biggest gifts that you can have. And you think about what's one of the reasons why, like when we accept a job from an employer, the, you are surrendering control to your employer. Now, at some point, we may have to do that because we have to be able to live. Let's not surrender control of our time just because we want to buy a bunch of crap, only when we actually need to. So these are all advantages that turned out to be dis disadvantages. And the, the twist that I wanted to encourage you guys to think about is the Wright brothers had some unique skills. It turns out as a bike, bike mechanic, it turns out bike mechanics a lot of really great things because you think about it, you have mathematics, you have engineering, you have welding. You know, the number of bike people that have ended up doing great things in technology is incredible. Similar with farmers, knowing how to fix things. That also is something that's allowed them to do great things in terms of being a farmer, right? And technology, because they, know, they literally know how to make things work. So relating to the Wright brothers, one thing I think is very interesting is what would have happened if the Wright brothers with their same skill set, same intelligence, had switched positions. Remember that 1980s movie with Eddie Murphy, where you took a really poor person and put them in a rich area and put a really rich person and put them in a um, slum? You know, what, what happened there? What would have happened if the Wright brothers switched positions and were at Smithsonian Institution? And what would have happened if Sam Langley had gone to the bike shop and had the same conditions, which is less funding, but same control? So in other words, would have the Wright brothers been successful 
had they gotten that funding originally? And would have Sam Langley been at least more successful if he had been freed from the funding constraint? The funding turned out to be a constraint. If he wasn't worried about protecting his reputation, if he wasn't worried about all these uh, managing this huge team, would have Sam Langley had more success than he ultimately done? And similarly, would have the Wright brothers been as successful as they were had they had all this quote-unquote advantages that turned out to be gigantic disadvantages? Well, here's my, and I'm going to attempt to answer this question, and none of us will be able to prove definitively about who's right on this, because obviously that didn't happen. They were successful, and they weren't at the Smithsonian Institution. But here's my hypothesis. I think that had they gotten all that funding from the Department of Defense as well as the Smithsonian, I think they would have been a lot less successful than they ultimately were. Just use one illustration. As I said, their big breakthrough is when they discovered that all these leading aeronautical chart, um, charts were in fact incorrect. And had they had this huge grant, they would have had to answer to their shareholder to say like, what the hell's going on? You um, are wrong, these experts are right. And this gets into the problem of peer review. I swear I don't have any um, professor. I, I kind of do. I kind of wanted to be a professor at some point, but you know, ultimately I think it was because I just wanted to chill out. The thing with peer review is, is that peer review, sometimes your peers can be wrong. They're not always right. And in fact, some of the greatest interview, uh, uh, essentially innovators, were ones that bucked conventional wisdom. They had bucked their peers. Now, there was a Nobel laureate at Iowa State University who won an award, I want to say, three or four years ago. And one of the things he mentioned was, is that when he came up with this new idea, it was, I think, of crystalline structures in the early 80s, everyone thought he was a total crackpot. He was a total failure. So you can't be beholden to peer review. And a lot of times, peer review are similarly situated, risk-averse peers. And so imagine this. Imagine this is another sort of thing that's kind of fun to explore. What if there would have been professors who had graded the proposals and the approach, the Wright brother approach versus the Samuel Langley approach? What grade would have the Wright brothers received from these professors versus Samuel Langley? My hypothesis is, is that Samuel Langley would have been much higher grade than the, than the Wright brothers. Now, ultimately, the thing about engineering is, is either you're your plane flies or it doesn't. Your grade is dependent upon what you actually do. And so in this particular case, it didn't matter. It mattered what they actually did. So that is this conclusion to this particular podcast. The Wright brothers, it turns out that every single disadvantage that they had was in fact a huge advantage. The lack of funding, meant they had total control over what they did. The lack of reputation meant that they had no reputation to lose. You know, in fact, in some of their early letters, they said, we're not cracked. They right up with the Sony Institution. They said, we're not a crank. But they didn't care. They wanted to try to do powered flights. Their lack of, um, you know, no one helping them out meant that they had total control. So, you know, I think there should be a word for advantages that turn out to be gigantic disadvantages and disadvantages that turn out to be giant advantages. 
So as you think about a friend or family member that's struggling or has things they need to work on, ask them to think about it as they look at and they audit their own assets. Are any things in their own life that, that, um, that they think are in fact disadvantages and you turn them on their head and think of them actually as in fact giant advantages. Um, so like if you don't have a super high powered job, well, maybe that might be an advantage because maybe you have more control over your time and you're not worried about losing your reputation because you can be more experimental. Why is it that children are so successful and creative because they, they, they still have a sense of wonder and they're not necessarily as, think, as concerned about what their peers think. I think a lot of times professors are beholden to their peers, not the quality of the work, but to these peers. And these peers are other similarly situated risk averse people. Um, and so I hope you found this particular podcast interesting. I certainly did in putting it on. I hope you do get the chance to read David McCullough's book. Um, I haven't really done a review of the book as such. The, the book is fabulous. David McCullough, The Wright Brothers. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Hopefully you'll buy it. Um, but it's classic McCullough. It's just, it's kind of like listening to your grandpa, you know, tell a great story. And it's just, it's just, it's kind of like intellectual comfort food. You know, if I'm to give a little bit of a little micro review here, I wish you would have done a little bit more on some of the technical challenges that the Wright brothers had in overcoming. Um, the, there were substantial obstacles in terms of powered flights, a little less time on the time in France. Um, they, we spent a lot of time, and I think basically David McCullough probably just felt that a lot of people already knew about the main punchline in terms of powered flight. But did they know about, you know, all the experience the brothers had in France, um, you know, as they tried to popularize flight. Uh, he has since passed away. He, he literally passed away while I was reading the book, David McCullough. Um, so I, I'm hopeful I'll be able to do other books or other podcasts on David McCullough. But um, this was a real fun one to do. And this is what really jumped out at me as I was doing this book is that Samuel Langley failed and the Wright brothers succeeded. And it just got me thinking about this topic of what were the advantages that turned out to be giant disadvantages and vice versa. So there's an infinite amount of podcasts out there. Thank you to each and every one of you who spent the time to listen to this particular podcast. Please continue to give me favorable reviews on Spotify, Apple, and all places where podcasts are heard. I'll continue to share this. I hope that you have a loved one that's struggling or, or needs to, you know, get a little push in the right direction. Hopefully you can listen to these. These are a lot of podcasts, but you know, these are about as much me as they are in you. Um, if you hear this far, it means you did listen to it. I really appreciate it. Continue to, we're going to continue to put on high quality conduct, content. If you have any questions, reach out to me at rockmcast.gmail.com. And I'd love to incorporate some of the other ideas and give me your feedback in terms of this issue about advantages um, that turn out to be advantages and vice versa. Thank you so much um, for listening to this episode of the Rockycast. We'll continue to do um, positive, high quality content on the Rockycast. Until next time on the Rockycast.